Welcome to Policy Today. Thoughtful discussion of current issues vital to the future prosperity of Washington State. Produced by the Washington Research Council. Hi, welcome to another episode of Common Ground, brought to you by the Washington Research Council. I'm joined today by my usual uh, colleague, Randy Abrams Karras. Hello, Randy. Hello, Mary. Um, and we are also joined today by Mr. Lou Moore, who's the big head honcho at the Research Council. Heidi, hi. Joining us uh, today. We are going to be talking about poverty, specifically um, a joint report put out by the American Enterprise Institute, which is a center, would you call it center-right? Center-right. Think tank. And then the Brookings Institute, which is a center-left think tank. Uh, And they decided to collaborate and bring together people from across the ideological spectrum to discuss poverty, um, how to how to address it, to reduce it, obviously, not increase it. Um, That would be really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And to try to come to some consensus on things they could agree on, facts they could agree on, um, and some policy initiatives they could agree on. And Lou, you're here today because you recently participated in a locally based panel discussion that I believe was inspired by the Brookings AEI collaboration um, where people from here in the state from across the ideological spectrum also sat down to talk about this. So what, well, let's hand it over to you. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this, it was very interesting to, uh, to observe both the process, how the process works, how it worked between uh, Brookings and AEI and how it could work in this state as well as in discussing the very real issue of poverty, which is not going away, which some argue is increasing in terms of child poverty in this mm. state. And then when we get into other issues related to it, like wage stagnation and underemployment, and there's a lot of issues uh, out there right now that people are, are, are getting more concerned about, as they should. So uh, anyway, yeah, so I, I went to this meeting where we talked about the consensus report. And uh, I mean, the, the first thing that uh, struck me. I mean, I, I've done some of this work before, and you have to get people to where they have, they identify in each other some common principles that they agree on some some basic principles of of what they want to see happen, and uh, that's something that this uh, that this AEI Brookings collaboration did. And then, secondly, you got to have the same facts. If you each bring your own facts things will not go very far. And so the, the, those are the two things that, that, uh, that struck me right away as being, as being fascinating. And, uh, and, and it was interesting, and I think particularly interesting at this meeting I went to for some of the folks on the left, that, that, that the first uh, principle they agreed to was individual responsibility. And that and that's going to lead to some policy recommendations, which are also interesting. Mm. But at the same time, folks on the right had to agree that a common value should be security in society. Right. I mean, we're in a capitalist system, free enterprise system, but there's creative destruction in capitalism. There's yes. people lose their jobs for various reasons, and there should be some kind of safety net, is the term that's used, or security for these folks, and that the government has a responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, so they came to, to, to agreement on, on those two things. And so, and then it kind of, kind of uh, took off from there. All right. 
Well, that'll, that's it for Common Ground today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, said, I could keep talking to you, but I thought this was a panel discussion here. So I'm, I'm sorry. I was, I was just <laughs> listening um, and thinking about the idea of individual responsibility and, um, and wanted to delve into that a bit because as part of the discussions in 1996 when Bill Clinton came up with the new vision of welfare reform, um, there was a lot put on the individual to find work, to time limit welfare as as we knew it, or or assist state assistance. Um, and it seems, and there were some supports allegedly built into the program, but the idea of personal responsibility um, when it comes to poverty, it, it is linked, it seems to me that that's linked to security as well. Like all of these things are pieces of a puzzle and not can't be resolved. If you resolve security, then all of the other stuff is taken care of. Um, so I, th but I do applaud the groups for coming together to and following the common ground model. That's right. <laughs> We've started a revolution. And also what came to mind um, when Lou was talking was we've, come so far, we've gone so far in the wrong direction in this country that two groups that think about things like poverty or economic, the economy, the fact that they came together to talk about poverty is lauded and celebrated. Exactly. Like and not a, big not, deal. Right, not a regular course of business. Mm -hmm. um, and it should be. But we've sort of dug into our, our tribes and we don't talk to each other. And mm -hmm. so this is a huge deal. Um, in some people's minds, you know, certainly mm. in our minds here, that's why we're talking about it today. Um, and so really this, this could, I hope that this will lead to a new way of having these discussions. Um, but I'm also wondering about the definition of a safety net and security and, you know, what does that mean on the right as opposed to the left? Um, yet to your first point, I actually listened to, um, on YouTube, and I'll provide a link to it. Uh, there's a YouTube video of when the AEI and Brookings unveiled their proposal, and they had panel discussion. And uh, the the guy who apparently came up with the idea for this um, is a man named, I think I'm getting his name right, Jonathan Haight. He's um, interesting. He teaches, I think it's business ethics at New York University, the Stern School of Business, but he's also a social psychologist. Um, but he's taken a particular interest in the polarization of our politics. Again, he's against, not for. Um, and he sees it as detrimental to our democracy and to public policy. Um, so he really wanted on the issue of poverty to see the, you know, the two sides come together. And then other people were just talking about, um, you know, the things that we've talked about on this podcast of, just recognizing that, gosh, everybody does really care about poverty. Okay, they have some different ideas about how to go about addressing it. Um, but what are, you know, yeah, what are the areas that we can, can agree on? Um, and it's certainly not, I mean, and Lou can go over some more in depth of some more of the proposals. Um, but there's certainly, it's certainly not some comprehensive, um, 
plan that's going to eradicate poverty. But as you said, just the fact that they are sitting down and talking about it. So I used to teach this class called Jewish Responses to Poverty mm. and, and also used to speak in different places about Jewish responses to poverty. And just every every time I hear um, nothing's going to eradicate poverty, I think of our, the rabbis in the, of the Talmud say, um, yes, basically poverty will always be here. There will always be poor people. So mm. how do we care for them and how do we create a society that cares for everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you said we all want to do something about poverty or everybody cares about poverty. Uh, I question At least the people right. in that room. I was going to say, Not I, everybody I don't does. think so. Yeah. I, I don't think that everybody cares about it or believes that, no. that, um, that there's an answer or that we can be doing better. Um, I think there are some people who believe that it's some sort of punishment for doing wrong mm. things or making wrong choices. Um, so if they, if they think about it at all. But well, they're just that. kind of. But the other element don't to even, that, Randy, even even aren't somebody, even concerning themselves about it. Yeah, no, I meant the people in that room. Right. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me, I need to talk over you, but uh, it, but even if you believe that, are their kids being punished? Should we be punishing their children as well? I mean, I, I think that's where uh, many conservatives say, "Well, there's that many children living in poverty. That's awful." And I think we can all agree to that. And then secondarily, we know that a lot of people are not in poverty because they're being punished karmically for something they've done wrong or because of, you know, choices they've made. It's not always true. Right. Or even if even if poor decisions were made, it's part of a systemic problem. Poor, poor choices are made from poor information, from poor education, from poor circumstances for not enough choices so sometimes you make the decision in front of you not with without all of the information that you need to make a better choice or you don't even know what questions to ask um that this is there are children growing up generation after generation in poverty um, and suffering from things like malnutrition um poor education domestic violence, either witnessing or, or a part of, mm-hmm. um, lack of food security, which I said malnutrition, lack of physical security, inadequate housing, toxic chemical exposure, which can affect um, brain development, um, all sorts of things that, that are systemic, that we all have a responsibility that in my humble opinion, we all have a responsibility to address as a society for a healthy for us all to be thriving. You know, whether you become a gazillionaire, you know, maybe some of that is luck, some of that is hard work, some of that is um, a good inheritance um, and good laws that that reward ingenuity and um, and smarts. Mm-hmm. Um, so. A few of the statistics, a few of the facts that they were dealing with were, you mentioned the child poverty. So what is it, 20%? There's a 20% child poverty rate. And and as I recall, that that number hasn't really changed much. So there hasn't been a lot of progress. No. Like they were saying, okay, there's been a lot of progress in Social Security um, and... Um, Medicare and addressing senior citizen poverty. They have a very strong lobby. 
Yeah, they have a strong <laughs> lobby. Uh, the child poverty rate hasn't been very great. And then they were talking about the problems with that. I mean, obviously, having children in poverty is bad. But then you have the generational. So if a kid grows up in poverty, not that they can't rise above it with the right supports, but then they have a much higher chance of staying in that situation, not getting a good education. Oh, yeah, I also yeah, yeah. missed access to health care. <laughs> That's a big one. Right. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk, I mean, did the did the panel, you were on, Lou, what, did they talk about that, about the child poverty rate? And We didn't actually talk as much about child poverty on, on the panel I was on, although we mentioned it. But, uh, I mean, a couple of the things that we did talk about that, that are highlighted in this report is it's not just a matter of whether or not the child poverty rate has gone up or down or whether it's remained the same. But there are certain indicators of poverty or of uh, of lack uh, of reduction of income mm-hmm. that are troubling and yeah. one of them is the increase in single parent families because yes. single parent families statistically are much more likely to be in poverty than than uh, a family where there are two uh, two parents in the home and that's why this whole exercise with Brookings and AEI kind of went a direction that surprised a lot of people because they ended up talking a lot about marriage in the family and that is one third of their recommendations are centered around marriage and the family because statistically it is irrefutable there's nothing to do with uh, I mean necessarily with Judeo-Christian values or evangelical influence over the process or whatever it's just a fact and that's where I get back to, get back to saying you can't have your own facts if you're going to sit around a table and talk about poverty you, you can't say that that's not important at the same time you know they also recognize that some government programs have worked government programs that conservatives fought year after year after year or tried to defund mm-hmm. and so uh so th- uh, but anyway the the issues around the family uh, uh what we talked about and are very significant and another metric that is very troubling is the fact that uh particularly uh at the, at the 50th percentile and below there's just essentially complete wage stagnation for males mm-hmm. and uh and that is not that that bodes ill in a number of respects starting with the fact of being able as a a a, a male just entering the workforce to even get a job it's indicative that's going to be more difficult and then their ability to participate whether they're in the home as a parent or not mm-hmm. in contributing to uh, the the well the uh, financial welfare of, of children that they might be responsible for so that those were two particular those are two particularly troubling areas now where we're going the wrong way it's not just a matter of let's let's solve poverty because we it's always been around but now let's try to solve it i mean some of these problems are getting worse right even and, with the incredible prosperity that a lot of us experience yeah and and then within the, that male uh group african-american men uh, i mean the unemployment rate is staggering and you know how can you have a a stable um community if so many people are out of work and in jail yes yeah yeah now, one of the panelists said this uh, at this panel was talking about that too um so yeah there are many many factors involved well and mort kondraki actually mentioned wage stagnation and underemployment at the 
mm-hmm. Washington Research mm-hmm. Council dinner just recently. Yeah. Um, so I take it from Mort. <laughs> yeah, it's real. Yeah, if if conservatives are talking about it, that they're not, um, they're not shoving it away as as the progressive sides. Um, excuse for why things, why people aren't um, doing better. That it's great that I mean it's terrible that we have wage stagnation, but it's great that everyone can recognize that this is a problem. But how does it get addressed? Mm. Um, it seems that there are some who have profited um, very much from from investment in innovation um, and in our capitalist market driven economy. Um, but what do we do about this wage stagnation? I don't know that the manufacturing base is coming back. Is it coming back? Uh, there's I some mean, signs that it's coming back to a degree, but you know, manufacturing is a very interesting issue. I mean, you can look at trade and international uh, trade arrangements, which some people have focused on very uh, heavily in the, in the campaign season we're in. But, you know, there's other issues like uh, corporate taxation in the United States compared to other countries. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of issues involved. Siting physical plants with the current land use re, uh, regime we have in a lot of areas where there's a lot of regulation and maybe there should be more performance-based ways of looking at siting plants and can they coincide with habitat projects or whatever and that's a whole other subject to itself but that's a pretty complicated issue just when you start talking about manufacturing but it's mentioned in this report manufacturing jobs are jobs that you can where the barrier to entry is much lower in terms of education and the multiplier in society is the highest and the job itself generally pays pretty well i mean if we increased our manufacturing base that alone would uh, would uh, be a pretty good stab at a lot of the problems associated with poverty right, right. that's i saw that so that's why i mentioned um, mm-hmm. manufacturing but i'm i'm and i have nothing to back this up except that it just doesn't see, because of some of the things you mentioned it doesn't seem like that's going to be what brings the middle class back in our country, in our state. Right. I mean, it could certainly be a component. I think high-skilled high skilled manufacturing, um, at least from the reports I've seen, you know, a lot of the Washington state employers have been um, really nervous because they're seeing a lack of skilled workers. And so that's another, another aspect. And this report talks about, and we've talked about on this podcast, is educating you know, students, kids for jobs that are actually available. You know, what a novel concept. Like, <laughs> um, okay, there's all these jobs, say, in, uh, co- you know, according to code.org, there are 17,000 open computing jobs. I'm sure a lot of those require a four-year degree, but maybe some of them don't. Maybe some of them you could go to a specialty school and, like, end up with a really awesome job. Um, or even, you know, the high-skilled manufacturing jobs where you can go to a um, – and it's, you know, it's not like Lucille Ball won the candy factory where you're just sitting there mine You know, actually requires real skills and you get really good pay. Um, and connecting – but connecting these students who say come from a culture where no one's been to college, they not the first 
clue. It's not their fault. It's because of they've never been exposed. How do you even access that? How do you access this higher education? How do I access these skill centers and, you know, do uh, take the classes in middle school or high school that I would help me to, you know, get the one or two year certificate so I could get this job where I could get, you know, 65,000 bucks right off the bat per year. Um, so anyway, that's, yeah, that's another Right, and that's the whole systems thing, is that mm-hmm. we can have a healthcare program that gets more children access to healthcare. We can have um, breakfast before the bell. We can have lunch programs. We can have after school. We can have those things that help parents make it through the day. Um, we can have those things that make sure that people don't slip. But right, how do we improve the lives? And it, it is, you know, there's it. In my mind, it requires a whole systems overhaul mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of addressing the family um, from morning to night, not just the hours that the kids are in school, but are there literacy problems at home mm-hmm. that can be addressed? You know, do they have a reliable car? Do they have an ORCA card or, you know, access to transportation? You know, what, what, and not just a one-off where someone takes an interest in a family at a school and, but what's available yeah. and, and making sure that people, that there are programs available and that we can measure their success and adjust them um, so that they can be more successful, but that we're addressing families, that we're addressing a whole person and that we're, addressing generations we're undoing generations mm-hmm. of um of neglect yeah yeah absolutely well, well part of the uh, idea that underpins this uh, collaboration between brookings and aei is that they will just that they will do a lot of measuring of items rather than right. judging them you know the earned income tax credit oh that's unconstitutional we can't consider that no we can consider it because we got to fix this problem. So how did it do? Some there are government programs have not done very well over the last many years, and and probably it would be a good idea if they went away. But that's one that has been very successful, using it as an example. So uh, taking your point, Randy, I think we need we need to to have a willingness and openness to 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 to, to measure the success or failure of programs and adjust. And, you know, th- th- this is a problem throughout government, and it's a big problem in the environmental area where I've worked before, is that we're willing to spend a lot of money on the front end for some brand-new program, but we don't spend much money on monitoring and evaluating mm-hmm. and, and adjusting, and, which more of that would probably bring a lot more success. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the adjusting part, not just scrapping it. Um, I think tweaking um, not in the meth addict <laughs> term <laughs> sense. Not in the I don't even know what term. that means. So this has been for, uh, <laughs> but in the um, yeah. but tweaking the program so to 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 set them up for success. Um, it seems that that a lot of times, if it doesn't perform right away, the opponent the opponents are ready to scrap it. See, I told you it wouldn't work. And then, and then people hold will hold on to ideas that were their ideas that maybe it does need to be scrapped. So I think the meeting, I don't want to say in the middle, but using the metrics in a way um, that will 
model success and set a program up for success um, would be a good departure. Yeah, well, Mary mentioned earlier talking about uh, this fellow that kind of brought these people together, how, no, he was for bringing people together. Uh, she said that kind of a turn of phrase meant to go. One of the problems is, is there are a lot of organizations on the left and the right that, that don't have a business model of collaboration. They have a business model of conflict. That right. is, they raise money through conflict. They energize their folks through conflict. And they don't want things to work. They want things that don't work. They can call out so they can... Uh, and then Send out a fundraising letter. Exactly. Or, yeah. And uh, so to, to get a level of trust and to everybody to kind of stand down a little bit in, in, in all of their previous ideas and just really try to look at the facts of the situation situation that's very challenging in this environment but it's very valuable when folks uh, do it agreed like, this is huge <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Where have I heard that before? <laughs> yeah two different candidates and you know who knows may i i kind of feel like um not that it's not going to continue i mean look at our current <clears throat> system but I think there's this, there's definitely a space that has been neglected for kind of rational collaboration. And I think, and it's, that's not just me being pie in the sky, because I think, uh, you know, the, some of the elected officials we've talked to um, and some of the elected officials I've talked to offline, like people will actually say they want problem solvers. And I, th I think the old model of, conflict. Yes, it sells to a certain um, portion of the public. But I, I, you know, I think if people really put um, some effort behind programs like this, and it's not like this is going to be the silver bullet, but if you see more people collaborating, um, eh, you know, it'll bear some fruit. And you get enough rich people like the the what was it, the Ford Foundation and the Annie Casey Foundation underwrote this, right? Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it could, it could, it could work. So, you know, it's worth, you look at the, in this state where we had the, you know, we had the transportation budget, that was the result of compromise. We had uh, Representative Roger Goodman on the other week, and he was talking about his, um, even on some fairly contentious issues, um, it can you can actually ex achieve success, maybe not in Congress um, right now, but maybe a few years down the road. Maybe the more you have groups like this, uh, it'll you know it'll take a few years or a few decades. I, yeah, I think benefits. that it's like maybe in a generation or so. Mm -hmm. I honestly see how things have been going at the national level as a generational. I think that things are going to have to be resolved at the state level for a while. Mm -hmm. And then some mm -hmm. of those people are going to have to leave Congress and we're going to have to have a whole change, a regime change, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there will have to be successes other places because I, I, what made me think of this is I see the work of the Gates Foundation globally including in the United States, but it hasn't really influenced policies in Congress, what they're, yeah. what they pass, what they send to the president. Um, so I don't, so I've sort of given up on Congress for a while. Um, yeah. In I its mean, current form. Yeah. It's just, it's like permanent 
gridlock. It was interesting when you mentioned the Gates Foundation, one of the people on this, um, the AEI Brookings panel is a woman who's originally from at least the Seattle area. And her mom was a single mom. And then she became a single mom. And she's like, in her words, she said, I just saw the cycle repeating itself. But then she was one of the Gates Foundation's first, um, I can't remember what you call it, but a scholar. So in other words, she got a scholarship to college and really turned her life around. Um, so she was like, and, and then, and now she's working in D.C. as the head of uh, Opportunity something. Um, it's a conglomeration of a ton of like hundreds and hundreds of organizations um, promoting policies that, you know, help lower income people um, uh, to achieve, you know, achieve more and have more opportunities. Um, yeah, it was interesting that she was a Gates Foundation baby, as you call it, as you would say, not as you call it, but as you'd say. Um, yeah. What troubles me, um, I think it's great. I'm thrilled that there are foundations funding studies and funding opportunities and programs. But um, there is a role for government in all of this. And that when it is led by private foundations and private industry, um, there's no one holding all the cards and there's no gatekeeper. Um, and we rely on the beneficence of a foundation or a group of rich people rather than a system where for society. Mm, right. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't question in any way there's a role for government in these things. But when you look at some of these recommendations, government can't do them and when you talk about the the disintegration of the family yeah that, that there are government programs that can help and we can talk a lot about that there's no question but at the end of the day it's kind of beyond government so some things are some things aren't i think again we, yeah, well, we, we need to get things back in balance and look at what works and uh when it works to do something at the federal governmental level we should do it if it works, right. it works better at the local governmental level or outside of government we should do it that way and just try to as much as we can objectively come together around some of these ideas and make them happen yeah simple yeah yeah simple but not easy all right well shall any other thoughts Lou, well, I, I think uh, I want to continue this conversation because I'm hoping that the conversation that we started uh, the other day in this state will continue. And the Research and, Council is very interested in participating if we can be a constructive uh, influence in, and in a Do you a anticipate, well, is there going to be some follow-up or is there going to be an attempt for a this type of set of suggestions at the state level? I um, I'm not sure, but I think it's possible. Okay. There, there was definitely uh, an interest on some of the state legislators that were at this mm -hmm. meeting, uh, Representative Sawyer, Representative Kaiser, uh, Chairman Keggy was at the meeting, and mm -hmm. she uh, particularly expressed to me uh, privately after the meeting her very strong interest in bringing people around the mm -hmm. table with very different ideas because mm -hmm. we're not fixing that right now. No. And, no. and she would be the first to admit that. Yeah, yeah. No, we thought that things, um, we'd be further along, I think, in addressing addressing poverty and addressing the, the generational poverty issues in the state than where we actually are. And I think that, um, I do think that the McCleary decision and how 
education is addressed fits in to this discussion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If they do it right. I also think that we should try carpool karaoke for one of our four <laughs> 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 Just no slipping that fun. in there. This is a serious <laughs> Yeah. Well, we still got to do our, our figure out our bar episode. <clears throat> we'll I get think that after the election. Yeah, yeah. After the election, a lot of people will be wanting to drink for various reasons. I think this has been a campaign season where a lot of people have not wanted to wait till the election. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. All right. Well, um, thank you, Lou. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. And uh, we'll provide all the various links in the um, podcast description and do remember we are now up on iTunes so we've hit the big time Uh, thank you to our listeners and we'll talk to you next time bye bye Policy Today is a production of the Washington Research Council dedicated to providing timely credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.